How does a reserved, introverted new supervisor overcome his lack of confidence? And what do you say to that employee who constantly complains, throws a fit, or is obviously miserable? There's good stuff ahead now on Boss Better Now. You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and certified MBTI practitioner, Joe Mall. Hola, mi amigos. Buenos dias. Como esta? I'm not sure if you can tell, but I just returned from a few days in the sun in Mexico. And I cannot say enough good things about the kindness and the hospitality of the wonderful people we met there. I hope each of you listening had a chance to get away this summer or in recent weeks to try and recharge as we did. And I certainly hope that your getaway included as much hospitality, homemade guacamole, and pina coladas as mine did. (laughs) And so with that, please welcome mi amiga, my co-host, professional coach extraordinaire, Alyssa Mullet. Hello, my friend. I think we should have had maracas after that, that like followed up with some surround sound of maracas. Like some mariachi music or something. Yes. Uh, I I was with you with the guacamole, but the pina coladas, no, sir. I'm a daiquiri girl. Uh-huh. And, and then whatever else is the specialty of the house. Yes. So if it's some kind of other like amazing thing, I'm going to try that. Um, but n- n- no on the pina colada. I like we, coconut, just not that. that yeah. No. yeah. Well, well, they had what they called the drink of the day. And I'm oh, not okay. a big drinker. Anybody who knows me well knows that I don't really consume often. Um, but in a lot of these places, it's basically dessert in a glass. It's not like yeah, oh yeah. Uh-huh. You know, I'm, I'm I'm not a, a a beer drinker really by any measure. And each day they we would be not sitting be by more opposite. Right? I know Just- you're you're fermented. <laughs> Everything in your world is fermented. and i'm like add sugar can i have some more sugar with a side of sugar right that's part of my issue but they would have a drink of the day and so you'd be sitting by the pool and then the people would come around and be like would you like try the drink of the day and it was these most ridiculous things you've ever seen there was one called the uh viva mexico and the drink was literally red green and yellow like the flag it was it was beautiful and it tasted amazing and they had electric lemonade and they had caribbean punch and we were like yeah sure we'll try that great that sounds amazing i i am uh, and maybe our listeners who didn't get you know the the vacay in that context like me will also concur jealous as hell right now we are jealous but we will live vicariously through the little tidbits and imagine in our brains what the Viva Mexico tasted like. <laughs> we will then consume an alcohol this weekend based That's on right. <laughs> our inspiration of that. You know, and it's interesting because I know there are so many folks out there who have not gotten a vacation. So many folks out there right now who are still very much in the throes of a very difficult work experience or difficult things going on in their personal lives. I have to admit that. I have felt guilty about mm. talking about my trip or, 
even just getting away. I mean, I we booked it right in in late June when all of the COVID numbers had seemed to really go back down and we were on this wonderful trajectory of recovery. And then by the time we got to the end of July and August, numbers were spiking again and September was a hot mess. And so we kind of had this pause of going, should we even do this? And you know, with three kids under the age of 12 and wanting to keep them safe, but also knowing how many moving parts there are to having like parent coverage so that we could do something mm-hmm. like this, there was a total cost benefit analysis that resulted in us going, we're going to go. But yeah. coming back, it is, it's, 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 I kind of noticed I, on the inside, I'm kind of cringing a little bit like, don't tell anybody you got to do this because so many people haven't. Oh, isn't that an interesting yeah. dynamic? So then it's like, did the vacation do what it was intended to do if you have to kind of hide in the shadow and feel this guilt and shame around it? Like, what's that like? That's that sucks. I don't I don't I don't say my jealousy to obviously to to shame you or to guilt you in any way. But that's, uh, you know, something that I can absolutely identify with in just in general terms of my life, you know, mommy shame and mommy guilt and all the rest of that stuff. So. Oh, yeah. And, and when when people say, oh, my goodness, I'm so jealous you got to go on that trip. Like, I'm not internalizing that. Like, that doesn't bother. I, I totally get it. That's that's more banter and an acknowledgement of, oh, that sounds wonderful. And most people who say that are glad that the people in their orbit get to go and do something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that it it's just I, I continue to sort of be in awe of this life that I get to live, which has been mm. relatively tragedy free. And I have this amazing partner and these healthy kids. And, you know, I get to do this work that I love and, uh, you know, in, in a financially stable business. You know, it, it it there are lots of up and da- ups and downs, but I'm just incredibly grateful, like almost bordering on guilt. <laughs> so there that's all sort of mixing. It, it it is sort of extreme gratitude and almost feeling mm-hmm. guilty about being so blessed. Does that make sense? Absolutely it does. We get this thing of you know, overwhelming gratitude in trying to, you know, to acknowledge all of those things in our life. And for me, how that kind of translates generally is I have this negative habit of I do that. And then I think, okay, so where is the other shoe going to drop? Yes. Like, it's like trying to ward that off. And yes. so then I have to think as twice as many negative things and make <laughs> to mentally drama. prepare yeah. yes exactly exactly yes so I, 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 an interesting dynamic i think that would be something to explore maybe on some a future episode of like this guilt and the gratitude and the balance of all of that because i i definitely think there's um like some interesting tactics and strategies that we can use specifically in the workplace in how we approach those things. Yeah. Well, even just what they being, do, do to us as a right, professional. Right. Even even just talking about them, just doing this, just sitting yeah. being like, yeah, I kind of, I've noticed this thing about myself with this little trip that we took that I kind of feel guilty about it, but it's, it's, yeah. it's guilt and gratitude in a really odd overlapping kind of way. Yep. 
Yeah. It's you can feel all the things. It's all right. You can yep. feel all the things. And all those things can be true. Like all of those feelings can be spot on. Like Absolutely. an acknowledgement that I'm getting to do some things others can't do and an acknowledgement that it was still really important for us to do it and an acknowledgement that it I'm grateful for it. Yes, absolutely. So I want to go back, if I could, to the opening where I I was very specific because I was going to mess that up in the opener. The MBTI practitioner. And I want to make sure our listeners know (laughs) you as an MBTI practitioner was one of the first ways in which I experienced you, Joe Mall, in a professional Oh, that's right. So you administered the MBTI, what are they, what are we, assessment? Instrument, In, yeah, assessment or instrument, okay. yep. Mm-hmm. To the team that I was on. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I have to be very frank and honest and say, I thought you were a damn liar, Joe. A <laughs> damn liar. Um, because it came back that I was an introvert. And I was like, um, no, ma'am, no, no, no. Look at the job I have. I am like, no, I am not. Look how control. verbal and outgoing I am. Yeah. <laughs> right? right? Yeah. So that thus began my storied history as being a covert introvert. Mm. Also, your new album, Covert <laughs> Introvert by Alyssa Mullet. It's a quiet secret collection of songs that you listen to by yourself. <laughs> wow. Go to a stand-up comedy club. They're on fire. My fire, my friend, uh, thank you for acknowledging the MBTI stuff. For anybody listening who doesn't know, the MBTI stands for the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. Uh, and it's an assessment, an instrument that helps us sort through some preferences we have in our personalities that are innate, that we were born with, for ways in which we take in information, make decisions, where we get our energy from, um, how we prefer to um, – orient our day-to-day lives. It's a really, I have found, powerful way to think about uh, how we need to flex our style to work with people who are different than we are. And um, there's a lot that's been written about the MBTI, especially in the last few years. It's getting a really bad rap, and most of that stuff is crap from people who don't understand how the instrument is supposed to be used. It is imperfect, without question, um, but I see a lot more good than bad in it. And so... um, for friends or, or listeners who have an interest in that sort of thing, uh, could do a little Googling and uh, learn more about that. And we've, we've talked about MBTI dynamics on this show mm-hmm. before, and especially introversion and extroversion, um, which is actually a perfect teeing up to the first thing that we're going to talk about today. Um, we got an email from uh, a listener who had a question about whether he can be successful as an introverted boss. So let's get into some mail. Alyssa, this email is one of my favorite that we've ever received. So I'm going to read it to you in its entirety, and then we'll chat. My name is Tintin, all the way from the Philippines, or as we like to say, Mabuhe. The literal translation of that would be live, So you could say it kind of has the same gist as the iconic live long and prosper, but without the Vulcan hand salute. With Boss Better Now, I have gained tremendous amounts of insights. I feel buoyed by light and love when I listen to you. 
I am mostly exposed to ideas from the old ways, where employees are mere cogs in a machine. So when I came across your podcast, my heart grew seven times bigger. This is the greatest email I've ever read in my life. Oh, my God. I am here because I am filled with fervor and felt emboldened to present a question. You see, I am quite an introverted individual, and the littlest of social interactions drains my spirit. A friend of mine joked that I was already social distancing before social distancing even became a thing. Recently, I was thrust into a boss position in our family business, a gasoline station. My mother, who also works in the business, is telling me that I am not really going out there in our gas station forecourt area to talk to customers or our staff. This means I do not put in much effort in running our business. I wonder if I am fit to be a boss. I most definitely care about my employees. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here listening to your podcast and writing to you. I truly hope my employees have a good life and I want them to be happy and fulfilled, but because I am very introverted, I wonder if I can ever be a good boss. I do spend more time inside the shop. I do not think... I am credible at all. I have zero confidence. And naturally, why would I be competent if I do not even believe in myself? I like working in our family business, just not the bits where I have to talk to people. (laughs) I don't know. Is there a way over this? How does one believe in oneself? How does an introverted individual be the best boss that he can be? I hope this email finds you well. Keep safe. Yours, Tintin. Holy crap. <laughs> how, how is this my life? This is, I'm, this is my moment to go, how is this my life? That mm. I get to hear these words from someone listening to anything coming out of my mouth mm-hmm. in the Philippines and cares what we have to say and I, whew, fills me up so much right there. I mean, uh, I got... I'm I'm living in my fields. I'm trying I'm trying to move <laughs> move out of my fields and into the the tactic tactics and strategies and share some experiences that hopefully will help our dear listener Tintin. Thank you so much for your email. I I am buoyed by light and love by the fact that he reached out and was able to point to our show as something that is just giving him new and different ways of thinking about the work that he's doing. So, Tintin, thank you for the courage that it took to write this email uh, and to share your struggles with us. Uh, So let's talk about this a little bit because there's a couple things going on here, Alyssa. He's asking and talking about introversion, but he's also asking and talking about confidence. And so – How do we help Tintin take baby steps toward the boss that we know he is capable of being? There's a foundation here in his email of deep caring and respect for the people that he is to serve in his role. Uh, And that's half the battle. And so right off the jump here, Tintin, let's be clear on something. That caring is the foundation for your competence. And that caring is an indicator that you can be a great boss. You are already a great boss because that caring is innate in how you are trying to show up. And so let's try to build your confidence off of that. It's in there, 
Let's just talk about some ways that we can create some habits and routines for you that allow you to do some of the things in the areas in which you feel like you're falling short. So Alyssa, where do you want to go with that? So my first thing would be to, again, to acknowledge his Mm self-awareness. That is amazing. What I think we would be my first um, tactic to try, though, is to think about that in a way that is not self-judgment. So we've crossed over the the line of self-awareness, knowing uh, what our strengths and our weaknesses are, to a point of self-judgment saying, you know, this is taken to mean that I do not put much effort into right. the business and that he he's he can't uh, be a good manager because this is the way that he's oriented. So I think the first thing is, is that we have to start by saying, who are you really comparing yourself here? You mentioned your that, you know, your mom has mentioned that you're not out there talking to the customers or showing the staff uh, in the ways in which was prior mm-hmm. happening. Okay. That's not how you are going to lead necessarily. So I think we need to make sure that what is the goal line? What what is it that you think a successful, a competent, a confident boss does? What are the minimum thresholds of where you're trying to move your needle to? Because if you're only trying to move the needle for yourself to meet your mom's expectation as the former leader of that organization, I don't know that that's necessarily where you want to set your marker because you're Mm. not her. Right. So what is your definition? And then being able to communicate that idea of success, idea of caring, of demonstrating your commitment to your employees, to your customers, communicate that to your mother (laughs) To the, to the clients, to your employees, being able to first understand what your true idea and definition of success is. And then we can talk about ways to build that level of confidence to get there, right? And specific tra- tactics to do so. I love this point, Alyssa, because people lead differently and yeah. how one person shows up and serves their personnel will differ than the person who came before and the person who will come after. And so um, I think your thinking is spot on. Uh, It's no surprise from a coach who works with leaders of all kinds to help them be their more authentic selves and then use that to figure out how to flex their style to be more successful. Um, I think there's another dynamic here, too, that, that we should acknowledge, which it might be culturally necessary for him to be, quote unquote, out there a little bit Mm. more and to try to embrace some of those um, more frequent 
exposure behaviors that um, people are pointing out or that he seems to think are necessary. So, uh, you know, we've all heard of management by walking around, you know, that visibility yeah. or executive rounding, as it might be called in some other organizations, yep. is an important factor in influencing people's perceptions of the degree to which leadership cares, is connected, is plugged in, has their finger on the pulse of what's going on. And so I guess I'm operating from a place where this is a, a necessary um, piece of what he needs to do. And yeah. so how do we come up with some ways for him to just incrementally move closer to doing that with a higher degree of comfort? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, go, go ahead. So, you know, I come at this from... <laughs> My top of my story where I said you were a darn li- darned liar because you said I was an introvert all those years ago. Yeah. And, and so what I have learned about myself and um, most recently been reinforced in this book, which I would recommend to 1010, by the way, it's called Quiet, The Power of Introverts mm-hmm. in a World That Can't Stop Talking by Susan Cain. Great book. Is that I was so far outside of my introverted self, right, that I burned myself out. Mm -hmm. And so she compares it in the book to a rubber band, like a rubber band theory, right? So you keep stretching yourself as an introvert um, to go out and have those face-to-face times to go out and, you know, speak in front of people, like whatever is uncomfortable and whatever is not within your general nature, that becomes stretching of the rubber band. Yes. What, where I went wrong was I stretched that rubber band all the heck out and I didn't even know that like the rubber band shape existed. And so I like, you know, burned myself out because I didn't go back to my shape. I did not recognize and realize what then brought me back into that place that filled me up, that served my energy so that I could then expand. And so engaging in those tactics of building your energies, your reserves, what fills you up, having that alone time, uh, being able to consciously prepare to go out and prep yourself to uh, speak with people face to face to navigate that networking that you that you might be required to do that is just as important as the act itself is understanding what is going to fill you up and get you there in terms of your confidence and your competence to do that embrace what fills you up that's not anything mm-hmm that you should be ashamed of in terms of that introversion natural state. This is such a great point because if Tintin goes out and tries to be something that he's not, he tries to be this highly visible, um, ever-present, extroverted leader, mm-hmm. He's he is going to be actually less effective than he is now. Absolutely. Because he's he's 
he has to be constantly on, right? It's like a performer stepping on stage. You are, you will drain your gas tank quickly, and then you're just a redlining engine with no oil in it. I totally mixed my motor metaphors there, but um, <laughs> I don't understand cars. Anyway, um, the point is you can't go be something that you're not, and stretching that rubber band all the way out ends up breaking it. And so I think... Your point is really well taken here, Alyssa, which is let's figure out how Tintin can just reach for a couple of things that he knows he needs to do without reinventing himself in a way that isn't authentic to him. And so I have a couple of suggestions for you here, Tintin, uh, in terms of thinking about your schedule and your routines and your habits. Uh, the first thing that I want to encourage you to do is to tune into when you tend to be most energized during the day. Um, for folks who are introverted, going out and connecting with people and and doing extroverted things is expensive. It drains our energy. And so if you're going to try and do that more frequently, let's do it at a time of day when our gas tank is fullest. Uh, for me, that tends to be in the mornings. Um, I know that if I want to be intentional about being interactive and being visible and being able to be fully present in the moment with people when I converse with them, I'm much better at that in the mornings. And so maybe one of the things that you do here is you just start thinking about for the first 10 minutes of the day, I'm just going to walk around and chat with people. And and you treat that like a meeting. You treat that like another important uh, task, uh, not not um, you know treat them like a task, but on your agenda or on your schedule, day to day, week to week. This is an important part of how I'm going to lead. I'm just going to go be visible. I'm going to be present. And then when you are out and about with people, uh, you can still have one-on-one conversations that don't require you to be highly extroverted in ways that might be energy expensive for you. Um, Set yourself a couple of very small challenges. I'm going to learn, if you don't know everybody's name, I'm going to learn everybody's name. Once you learn everybody's name, I'm going to learn everybody's kid's name. Uh, Once you learn everybody's kid's name, you're going to make it a point to just ask about an interest that their kids have or that their family, oh, you know, you mentioned last week that your son plays soccer or football, depending on where you live. And uh, how was his last game? You demonstrate caring for people by recalling the details of things that they've shared with you previously. That alone is a really powerful way to demonstrate that you care. Um, And like it or not, people will judge your investment in the business and the effort and hustle you're bringing to the work by how much they see. Nobody sits back and says, well, I haven't seen him very much, so he must be super busy and working really hard. Um, I mean, some people have that level of emotional intelligence, but sadly, a lot of people don't. They think that we're just hiding in our offices and doing less important things and avoiding the demands and stress of being, quote unquote, out there. Yeah. And so th- th- this visibility piece is important not just for building those relationships and helping people see that they are cared about, but t- to demonstrate that you are invested in, in wanting to understand what they're facing on a day-to-day basis. And so that's my last piece of advice for you, Tintin, is in the interactions that you're having with people, here and there, a little bit, every once in a while, again, you don't have to try and be something that you're not. Try to come armed with a question or two that solicits their ideas, their challenges, their feedback. You can go out to folks and say, hey, what was the the hardest thing you had to deal with yesterday? I just want to make sure I'm understanding what's going on. Or if you could change one thing around here, what would it be? Or tell me about something that happened this week that you were really proud of. 
and let them answer that question related to work or related to something else that's going on in their lives. Those kinds of interactions are going to go a long way to getting you where you want to go. And people are going to describe you as a confident, invested leader who cares about their people. This is like, I feel like one of those beautiful like moments where it's quintessential us. <laughs> the yin and the yang. The yin and the yang. I go like gray, emotional ether, and you give great <laughs> tactical strategies. And here's my, the bottom line. I hope to heck that that's exactly all of that is what Tintin needs to know and gets him there that we believe in you. We believe that you will get to that place of knowing that you are an awesome boss and that you care deeply because we felt the caring just through that email. Absolutely. So and we want to hear back from you, Tin Tin. Let us know how it's going in a couple of months. Did, did any of that work uh, or were we full of crap? Uh, and if that's the case, we'll, we'll get back with you. We'll figure out something with you. All right. Um, well, what about you, Boss Heroes? Do you have a question? Do you have a struggle? Do you have a problem? Send us a question. How can we be helpful to you? If you'd like us to address your question or problem on the show, just shoot us an email over at bossbetternow at gmail.com. We come now to the camaraderie question of the week. Alyssa, as you know, bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier for people to find things in common with each other. That's why here on the Boss Better Now podcast, every week we give you a question you can use at meetings, at huddles, in the hallway, at one-on-ones, at your Zooms to facilitate connection and build camaraderie. Our question this week, Alyssa, is this. What is the first non-children's book you remember reading? So I don't know if this is like what your your like time frame goes to, but like I go back to like my first remembrance of like, I don't know, I guess it was adolescence, teen years in like high school, what was like the biggest eye openers for me. That's how my brain remembers that. And so I remembered like three off the off the bat. Um which was Flowers for Algernon. Oh, yeah. Did you have to one. read that? Yeah. Okay. Um, Watership Down. You remember with the nope. rabbits? There's nope. a whole, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, you should read that one. Or your daughter, Lily, and you should yeah. read that. Oh, that would be amazing. Okay. And then Lord of the Flies. Oh, I remember being required to read Lord of the Flies, but I think I read like. The Cliff Notes version of Lord of the Flies, which like that oh, wasn't my thing. I didn't now. I didn't oh. go get those. But I for some reason, I remember being required to read it and not reading it. Yeah. Rebel. Wild? You yeah. rebel. Yeah. <laughs> was there a did you did you like all of no, those was, stories? Uh, I don't know that I liked them. I just I I distinctly remember being wowed by the world of that kind of writing and thinking holy yeah. crap like that creates like a whole different life in my head that hadn't been available to me prior to reading those books yeah 
Is that the time frame that you're you're referencing? Yeah, I mean, I think there's an interesting overlap here in the question because I think some people in their youth they come to reading before it's mandated by school. Right. Right. And so, like, I remember reading a story or two because we had library time and we were required to pull something off the shelf. And I ended up reading this book that was not a picture book that I really enjoyed. But you're also talking about some of the mandated reading. Some people really don't start reading stories in their youth until school or teachers require it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I remember Flowers for Algernon, but it was as part of a required reading. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that wasn't one of the the first that I encountered. The first book that I – non-children's book that I remember reading, and this was on my own, was a book called Follow My Leader by James Garfield. And it was was written for kind of the 8 to 12-year-old group. Uh, And it was about a a little boy – I think he's 12 – who has an accident with a firework – with fireworks, and he's blinded. And it's the story, it's based on a true story, and it's um, the story of how he learns to live with blindness through the help of a guide dog. Mm. And it's funny, I'm thinking about that story now, and I'm like, man, that's heavy. That's kind of heavy for a little kid because like, you're in his world of darkness when you read this book from being able to see and then not be able to see. But I remember reading it like two or three times, and I just remember really being captivated by the story. And I remember going back to the librarian and being like, I want another book like that and not being able to find one that I liked as much. you know. Um, so I, I remember that one. As far as mandated stories go, like the, the books that they required us to read, I don't remember liking anything except one. Okay. I enjoyed Animal Farm. Okay. By George Orwell. Did you have to read Animal yeah, Farm? Yeah. I think we got a choice in one mm. of those. And what's the um oh I'm gonna remember it after we stop this episode. Uh Tom it, it's by Tom Wolf, I think. Is that who it is? I can't remember. I'm not gonna remember. Okay. Cliff notes, I'll I'll figure it out later. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes if I can remember. <laughs> Tell Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> The, a, a required reading book? Yes. I can't. Okay. I know we got a choice. So I don't think I read Animal Farm. I okay. think I read a Tom Wolf book. But in any case, did you like Animal Farm? I did. And I remember that I liked it because it was one of the first times that I could see like bigger themes or patterns from the story and that it was like an allegory in some way for leadership and group think. And I didn't have the vocabulary for those words at the time because I think Mm. this was probably early high school that we were reading these stories. But it was one of the first time where, okay, this isn't a story about talking animals. This, This is a story about bigger themes and ideas. And I could see parallels to the world that we live in. And I enjoyed kind of deconstructing that stuff in the classes that we were in. Yeah. Yeah. Ditto. I I agree. All right. That's an awesome question. Are you trying to Google? I Googled the uh, right now I'm Googling the Tom Wolf literary list here and it's Bonfire of the Vanities and uh, the right stuff. Is this the Tom Wolf that we're talking about? No. Uh, There's a book by Tom Wolf called Hooking Up. I'm pretty sure that wasn't the one (laughs) that you read. Um, Or maybe it wasn't Tom Wolf at all. It's probably wasn't. It probably wasn't. I'm probably remember like joining two things together. My husband will remember because he's read several of this author's books, and I 
It's Tom something. Narrows it right down. All right. And <laughs> we're going to have you circle back to us on that later. You're going to come back in like three episodes and be like, I figured it out. <laughs> and that's the camaraderie question of the week. Are you planning a meeting, conference, retreat, or event? Why not invite our own Joe Mall to be your keynote speaker? How many people here who supervise have had their time, attention, and energy devoured by someone who is not committed? If yes, say yes. yes. And an amen. See, like I said. Joe teaches leaders how to boss better and cultivate commitment in a way that is funny, captivating, and filled with takeaways. Do you believe that these people are coming to me and telling me that I'm sticking my nose in where it doesn't belong? Oh my gosh, wonderful. Really engaging and thought-provoking, which is really great with lots of good tools to take home. You felt present, like you wanted to lean in. You didn't want to pick up your phone and scroll through Facebook. Whether your event is virtual or in person, your audience doesn't want another boring 60-minute lecture. They deserve to learn and be inspired by a world-class program they simply cannot turn away from. That's what you get guaranteed from Joe Mall. We can all agree we want our employees to care and try, but care and try isn't about competence. It's about commitment. And commitment can't be bought. It can only be earned. Your number one job as a leader is to cultivate commitment. For more information, visit joemall.com forward slash speaking. All right, Alyssa, we come out of our book discussion, and we will look forward to hearing about whatever it was that you like by Tom. <laughs> it's probably we, not even Tom. Right, I'm you're Googling coming back and be like, <laughs> it was Shakespeare, right? Ridiculousness. Uh, well, when we come out yeah. of that conversation um, with a boss script, and it, it's one that I have given out a lot over the years as a conversation starter. So let's talk about a boss script for your crabby or disgruntled employee. So unfortunately, I'm, I'm certain that a lot of the boss heroes listening to our show have had to navigate members of their team who just don't show up with any kind of recurring level of happiness. There are patterns of complaining, right? If you have a constant complainer, um, someone for whom whatever you do to try and solve their problem, they just bring you another problem and it's never good enough. Mm -hmm. um, someone who is toxic or abrasive, uh, someone who is unhappy with the performance of other people on the team. Um, I have a lot of conversations with folks about what, what do I say to the person? What kind of feedback can I give them about their constant misery mm. or dissatisfaction? And so I, I've found that there is a question that I like to use at the very beginning of these conversations. And that question is this. Are you happy here? And so that's our boss script for this episode. I think when we have folks for whom there is a pattern of unhappiness or dissatisfaction, we can get caught up 
in the specific circumstances of that unhappiness. So if somebody comes and they're unhappy with their schedule, and then some, and then they come again and they're unhappy with their pay, and then they come again and they're unhappy with their duties, and then they come again and they're unhappy with um, the, the the training, or they're unhappy with a decision. And we get caught up in trying to debrief those individual things with people. Most of the the, the listeners to this show are probably giving time to those conversations. They're trying to help people work through those. I just totally lost the word that I wanted to use. <laughs> complaints. Let's call them complaints. Okay. <laughs> when there may be a larger issue here, which is that this person is never going to get to a place where they're able to operate with some kind of positive life force as a member of your team. And so if that's the case and we see a pattern unfolding here, I like this question as the opener to a separate conversation. And that conversation is about the pattern. So sitting down with somebody and saying, you know, I wanted to talk with you and I wanted to ask you a specific question. Uh, and it might seem a strange question to ask, but just go with me on this, if you will. Are you happy here? It's a wide open field of which they may find many weeds. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it's a great question. I think this also, your point about this, making sure that it is a, a pattern behavior, mm -hmm. right? Because we've also had conversations about toxic positivity yep. as a leader. Yep. You know, try, if we're constantly meeting each one of those um, complaints and problems that they're bringing to us with, you know, trying to build them up and make them happy, right? Um, then it can be, they're continually bringing it to us because they don't feel heard. Yeah. Because yeah. all we keep doing is telling them how they shouldn't feel that way, right? Yes. And or solving their problem of which yes. they will continue to manifest, right? Yes. So I think that there's a, a an important component of trying to establish their their pattern and your pattern of response, right? Um, and this question fits with that because right. then you you can understand, is their goal to actually be happy here? Because there right. are some people for whom that's not their in their wheelhouse to be happy, <laughs> ecstatic, yeah. whatever we want to call it in the workplace. And okay, that's fine. But we're going to establish if that's not, if you're not happy here, where are we going to get to a level of contentment where I don't constantly, as your leader, have to be problem solving for you? Yes. Right? Or trying to feel like I need to bring you up to this level so that you will not negatively affect the rest of the team. Yes. I can't constantly need to pep talk you into a kind of neutral affect so that you can continue yep. to show up in a way that, that doesn't do harm to our team. And that's what I really love about this question, because sometimes the person who is constantly complaining has legitimate complaints. Their needs aren't being met. And you may be in a position as a supervisor where you're powerless to fix the things that they are hoping or needing to change. And so saying, are you happy here? 
maybe an acknowledgement of let's let's go macro and let's look at this from a 30,000 foot view and say, I get that these are legitimate concerns for you, but they're not going to change anytime soon. So let's have a larger conversation about whether you can stay or should stay because I can't change these things. But if you're mired and stuck in this dissatisfaction, you're suffering and it's creating suffering. Yep. Versus the other group of folks where you're sitting across from someone who just daily leans into their own victimhood. Yes. And no amount of accommodations or trying to debrief or coach or pep talk or problem solve is going to move them into a healthier state of mind. And so sitting across from that person and saying, are you happy here? And if they say, well, yes, that actually tees you up for a different kind of conversation where you can say, thank you for telling me that you are, because from what I experience, it doesn't seem that way. And let's talk about why. And then you can describe the patterns of misery and complaining, and you can shine a light on the harm that it's doing. And you can actually start to to ask them to think about showing up differently. If they say, no, they're not happy here, then you can still have that same conversation about the harm that their unhappiness is doing while acknowledging that things aren't going to change. And they need, to either, they need to either come to terms with that and try to figure out a way to show up with a different affect or attitude, or let's work together to figure out your exit plan. But the end game here is we can't continue as we are. We can't continue with you displaying and sharing your misery in every direction because it's pulling other people down. Yes, 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 all of it. So there's your boss script, folks. And that's a conversation I would encourage you to map out. If, if, if any of these scenarios that we just brought up, uh, one of them spoke to you, you sit down and you take a blank piece of paper and you say, my first question is going to be, are you happy here? And let it hang with a little bit of silence because they may need to cook on that for a minute. Or the first answer they give you may not be you know, uh, deep or thoughtful. But then on your sheet of paper, you kind of map out where is this conversation going to go. If they answer something in the affirmative, then then what's the next thing you're going to say about, okay, thank you. I'm glad you are, but it doesn't – that's not what we're experiencing, and let me tell you why. And you kind of map out the feedback you want to give them, and then you map out the change you want to ask for. And if they say no or if they answer in the negative, then you kind of say, okay, let's talk about – whether it's possible for the things you're unhappy about to change and whether they will change or can change. And what's a realistic set of expectations for where we can get based on your dissatisfaction? And then the questions you need to ask or the feedback you need to give to try to come to some mutual understanding about what happens next. You map all that out on a piece of paper so that you are prepared for that conversation when it takes place. But it all starts with that boss script, are you happy here? All right, friends, that's our show for this week. Remember, you can get original videos, encouraging messages from me, subscriber-only access to our training and events, breaking news, and more by signing up for our twice-monthly Boss Better Now emails. They are free, and we never sell your info. It's just another way that we try to achieve our mission of filling the workplace with better bosses. To sign up, just visit bossbetternow.com. Thank you for being with us, and thanks for all that you do to take care of so many. We'll see you next time. Oh, oh, oh. 
This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit joemall.com today.